All right. So um, I was kind of going over some, a few things and what, what we have to do, you know, you know, sometimes I think we get into a new year and we're like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to do this this year and I'm going to change this and I'm going to do this. And then God laughs and giggles a little bit when you tell him what, you, what you're going to do. Um, and it's scriptural, you know, God laughs at the plans of man. So, um, <laughs> but it is true. We, we get this mindset of this is how I'm going to do this this year. I've got, you know, by, by December, you're like, I've got to come up with some things I'm going to do next year. You know, like if I don't, I'm not a good person, you know, and it doesn't work that way. Um, but, I, you know, we, we want to change things. We want to make, well, this year I'm going to not eat as much junk food. And I last until about the fifth day of January. And then I'm like, yeah, hey, let's go to Jack's and get some uh, um, potato wedges and, um, and uh, crispitos. And then I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, we'll just keep doing it. So, um, but we make New Year's resolutions, and we tell God, this is what I'm going to do this year. God, I want to do this this year. Or we tell ourselves that, and we don't involve God with that. We're like, I'm going to stop doing this. And it's like, first of all, we should have sought what God has planned for us. We have to come into the new year. We have to come into our life saying, God, what do you want for me this year? What do you want me to change this year? Not just, well, I feel like I'm going to change this. And, and there are some things that we can do, but so many times we go, into, we go into plans without God actually giving us the plan. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? You get into it and you're like, yeah, I should have invited God into this way before because I'm not, it's not working out so well right now. So, yeah. So when it comes to the new year, new beginnings, new, new things, we have to look and say, okay, God, what do you want? But first of all, we have to yield ourselves to God. You guys ever rolled up to a four-way and you're like, okay, this is a yield sign. So you kind of creep out into it and you're like, how many of you guys actually stop at them? Yep. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So my daughter stops at them because that's how she passed her driver's test. So just to make that record known. Um, But a lot of times we come up to a yield sign and we're like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? Because we'll see cars and we're like, and we're supposed to yield when something is going through. Yeah. Well, you ever realize in those stupid roundabouts they put in, in those areas, you're supposed to yield at those too? It doesn't work very well for some people. They don't yield and you're going through and they just decide to follow you through very closely. And so <laughs> yielding actually means to, to pause. It doesn't mean to come fully to a stop. It means to pause. It means to slow down and to find out what is going on. Think about it. If you go through one of those stupid roundabouts and you just, like, I'm just going to keep going. You don't pay attention to what's going on. There's other cars coming. You are going to run into something or somebody. I don't know, whatever. But we have to look and say, okay, in our relationship with God, in, as we go into this new year, how do we pause, yield, and look at what God is doing? Ask God what he is doing. We have to yield our lives. That means we have to take direction from the king. That means we can't go into life going, well, you know what? I'm, you know, people jump out of bed January 1st and go, I'm going to go and just do this. And they go head first into it. And then by day number 27, they're just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. They, they, they burn out. They get bored with it. They get tired of it. They get into not making it a, a habit. But yielding 
to God means this year we have to yield to the Spirit of God to guide us through this year, to guide us into our everyday life. So yielding has a couple different terms. One of them is to pause, is to, to pause and look to see what is going on. The next one is to yield is to give up, is to allow someone else to take control. And so January 1st, 1739, almost 200 years ago, or excuse me, 300 years ago, excuse me, um, New Year's Day, 1739, there was an all-night prayer meeting in Fetter Lane, London. 3 a.m., and this is what was said, the power of God came mightily upon us, recorded John Wesley in his journal, and so much that many cried out with exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. After that, John was propelled out of that room with his brother, Charles. John rode 125,000 miles preaching the gospel in England. His brother, Charles, wrote over 6,000 hymns. And their friend, George Whitfield, who was 25, came to America and started the Great, Great Awakening. Those three men changed the world from an, an all-night prayer meeting at 3 a.m. when the Holy Spirit fell in, their room, in the room that they were in. It sounds a lot like the upper room in Acts. These three men and the other people that were around them, these three are well noted because of what they've done. But the people that were in that room yielded to the Spirit of God and said, what do you have for us? What do you want for us? How are you directing us to go? And, and it makes me look at that. And you look at the upper room and you look at these, these men. Um, 6,000 hymns, that's a lot of writing. That's a lot of, of writing. But these men, George Whitfield, who came to America, he traveled so much that he wore shoes out. And, and not just like, oh, I, I have a pair of shoes for two years and I wear them out. He was wearing shoes out. People were buying him shoes. He would ask for shoes. I remember reading about this when I was a kid. Um, yeah, I, I was weird. I, uh, <laughs> I'd read about uh, revival a, as a 12-year-old kid. Um, but he would actually ask for shoes and clothes because he would wear clothes out when he traveled. And he just like, I, you know, he would ask people for that. And so these three men yielded the same way that the disciples did in the upper room and said, Show us, guide us, direct us on what your spirit is leading us to do. And they yielded to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And we're talking Methodist ministers here. We're not talking about charismatic people rolling in the aisles, running to the left. We're talking about Methodist ministers who came and said to the Holy Spirit, we yield to you. It's your will not ours. They looked at the, the, the prayer and said, it's not our will be done, but it's your will be done. They could have left that room without anything going on. They could have went back into England. They could have preached. That area, in, in 1739, there was five Christian pol political leaders in the entire country. The culture was rampant with Poverty, 
disease, immorality. And these men said, um, you know, we see that there's a change that needs to happen. And I believe that every generation has these men or some type of these men and they say, you know what? We see this generation, we see this world and we need, there's something that needs to happen and we need to change it. They yielded to the power of God. They yielded to the Holy Spirit to come into them and to guide them and to push them into what was going to happen. And to yield to the Spirit of God, to yield to the King and say, you know, it's not mine, but yours. My life is not my own, but it is yours. We have to look and say, okay, how, how do we do that? So we look at Galatians 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Galatians 2, 19 through 20 says, For though the law, excuse me, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved and gave himself for me. So yielding to God, yielding to the Father means this is, taking up and remembering that you have been crucified with Christ. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, our old has been crucified with Christ. Our new man has come, and it is with Jesus Christ. But Paul says this, he goes, the life I live in the flesh is now by faith in the Son of God. It's not just, oh, I, I have, um, I'm born again, and now I get to live how I want to live. It's no, I have to live by faith in the Son of God. That's how our lives should be. Our flesh should be through the, through the Spirit of God directing us and leading us into the life that he has designed for us. Yielding to God means to die to what our flesh, flesh desires and live for his desires. Think about it. I don't think... John Wesley would have come up with an idea. You know, I think I'm going to travel 125,000 miles on horseback, walking, and by whatever uh, means I can possibly get there on his own. He, didn't, he wouldn't have really thought, you know, let's, let's go for 125,000 miles. Let's just walk that for the fun of it. He wouldn't have done that on his own. Before that moment... January 1st, 1739. I don't think he was thinking, let's go 125,000 miles and I'm going to preach the gospel. No, he didn't. But something came into him when he yielded his life to Christ. He was in the will of God to travel 125,000 miles. And if you read some of the, the stories about that, it wasn't exactly the nicest ways of traveling. We're talking about 1739. We're not talking about 1939. We're not talking about, you know, 1999. We're talking, this man had to ride horseback, wagon, walking through roads that were paths. Find a, go to Branstrom Park, walk out on one of the paths and say, okay, this is how he traveled. It wasn't by highway. It wasn't an easy commute. It wasn't driving 60 miles an hour to get across. 125,000 miles to walk through the UK 
weather, robbers, people who didn't want you there. But when he yielded his life to God, the Holy Spirit came into him and said, you know what, this is what you're going to do. He allowed his life to be directed for God. His brother's like, yeah, you do the walk and I'll just do the sitting and I'll do some writing. <laughs> if, if you really think about this, walking 125,000 miles or going 125,000 miles. At 125,000 miles, we're looking at our car and going, hey, I better trade this in. This man traveled this in some of the roughest conditions you can ever imagine. So we have to yield our lives, our desires to the king. When we bring ourselves to Christ and we say, okay, I receive you. I accept you as savior. I accept you as king of my life. We have to lay some things down. He takes a lot of things away and he remakes us, brings us new. Rebirth. So when he when we are born again, that means the old is gone, the new has come. But what happens is sometimes this, is we yield our life to Christ. He comes in and he's king. And we're like bowing and we're kind of like, yep, trying to reach back and grab some of the things that from that old man. We're like, well, I'm yielding to you, but I'm holding on to something that will anchor me to the world. And so we look at, we look at, Yielding, if you look at some of the, the definitions of yielding, you look at some of the different ways. Um, back in 1739, um, a lot of things were settled by two guys going out in the, in the field and shooting at each other. Or, um, you know, it wasn't like, hey, we had a quick fist fight, we're done. They, there was something called honor back then. And um, what would happen is they would go out and they would shoot at each other or they would fight it out with swords. I would have brought a cannon just for the fun of it. But what would happen is, is this, is they would duel. If one of them didn't die, what would he, he would say? He goes, I yield to you. That means he surrenders to you. Yielding means surrendering to something that is stronger than us. When we yield, we yield our life to a king, not a peasant. We are peasants going to a king saying, oh, I yield my life to you. And what he does is he takes us and says, you are not a peasant anymore. You are now my son. You are my daughter. You are royalty. We yield ourselves to him. He makes us something better. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. It says we're not our own. That means we don't own this. If we have yielded our life to Christ, this is not for us to choose. What, this, what we do with this, we don't have the right to choose that. Because we're supposed to be yielding ourselves to Christ. That means he's going to be directing us. And he's going to direct what we say, what we do, what we think. That's a hard one. Because that's the one we can hide a lot of times. I'm not going to act on it. I'm not going to say it. But I can think it. What does it say in the Bible about thinking? 
says, take every thought captive, but what it says, as a man thinks, so shall he be. Our thoughts, our actions, our words have to be yielded to the king. It says we're bought with a price. That means we don't have the right to choose anymore. We have been bought. When we've been purchased, that means we have no ownership over ourselves if we are born again. If we have surrendered our life to Christ, that means we have no ownership over ourselves. That's hard to hear and swallow sometimes. It's like, if I've surrendered my life to Christ, yielded myself to him, he's, he's purchased me with a price that's greater than my own life. And sometimes that's hard to, to, to hear when the, this gets out of control and this wants to start to, to <laughs> evacuate what's in this. And sometimes yielding ourselves to Christ in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words We have to remind ourselves, we don't have ownership anymore. We were purchased. We went from slavery in sin and in darkness, in bondage, to being purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that has paid for our sin, everything that we've done. And then it says, oh, by the way, now you have to, if you are truly my sons and daughters, you are going to yield to me. We've been unmeasurably purchased and have now traded our rights that when we can, excuse me, when we get into the family of God, we trade our rights. We lay down the rights of our old family. We lay that down. We lay down our, our inheritance of everything that we were in the past. We lay down the death of everything in the past, the destruction, and we say, I yield myself to you, and now we become sons. Sons, of, sons and daughters of Christ yield themselves. You cannot be a son or a daughter in the kingdom unless you yield yourself to him. Allow him to direct you. Our sonship is a free gift, but it comes with a price. And that means it's sitting there and, and God has it in his hand. And he's, and he's saying, this is, this is who you are. This is what I have for you. It's, it's right here in front of you. But there's one thing that you have to do. See, we can be born again, but not be a son and a daughter of Christ. We can live like an orphan. We can live like someone who doesn't know their father. Or we can take what is in his hand. When we take his hand, we yield to him. What happens when, you, when we, anybody with little ones, what do you do when you're walking around? You take their hand. And what happens when you take their hand? They now have to submit to you. Some of, some of them don't like to do that, but what they do is they submit to where you are going. As for my wife, she used to grab the daughter's hair when she'd run away. <laughs> it was the only thing that was quick enough to grab. Um, but 
when we take our child's hand, there's something instinctive in them that yields to us. Not always. Sometimes it's like, I want to run over there. There's candy over there. But when we take our child's hand, they just naturally yield to us and follow. Because there's something in us, because we're created in the image of God, even though there was sin that came into the world, there's something ingrained in us to submit to the Father and to submit to authority. So when we take our kid's hand, they yield to us, they follow us. And so when God says, he goes, I have sonship right here, all you need to do is take my hand. And what happens is, is we grab his hand we become sons and daughters, and he, we yield our life to him, and he directs us. Oh, by the way, we're going over here now. Not over where you wanted to go. Not over the, by there looking over the edge of that hill or that cliff. We're going to go over here. Not where there's candy. <laughs> we're going to go over here. Yielding to God and becoming a son are all in the same thing. It's grabbing his hand and saying, my life is not my own. You've purchased me and I am your son and I'm your daughter. And you grab him by the hand and he takes you by the hand and he says, follow me. Our sonship has been bought with a yielded submission to God. Romans 12, 1 says this, I says, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. These are pretty familiar scriptures to most of you. You guys have heard those. It's a pretty common scripture that, you know, when we're learning about Jesus, when we're learning about our relationship with God, we hear these a lot. But Paul says our lives are supposed to be a living sacrifice. Our, our lives are supposed to be yielded to God in, to sacrifice our lives for his service. Doesn't mean you give up living a normal life. Doesn't mean you go and find some cave somewhere and live as a monk. I mean, it doesn't work that way. But it means that our lives get yielded to God and he says, and you say, for your service. When a noble person would come to a king and he would make them a knight, one of the, the few things that they would have to say is, for your service. When we go to the king, we bow before him and we say, for your service. We have to look at God and say, you know what? I'm going to bow my knee to him and say, for your service, I yield myself. Direct me. Guide me. Our wills must yield to his plan. Our plans must yield to his plan. Our pursuits must yield to his will. The will is, is a, um, 
is a funny thing, especially if you have kids. Some of you have a very strong-willed child, and some of you don't. Um, for you with strong-willed tri- uh, children, talk to Sarah, and she'll teach you how to say, that's a bummer. Um, yeah. So, but our wills, our will is always, if you, if you think about it, what happens in New Year's? I'm going to do this. This is my will. I'm going to do, do this. I'm going to change this in my life. I'm going to continue to do this. And there's some things that are great. Oh, I want to read the Bible more. God's like, yes, I love that one. Keep going with that one. And then there's other ones. Well, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to keep doing this. And God's like, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. And say, God, what is your will, not my will? You can't say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if your will is getting in the way. You can say it, but it doesn't work very well. If we're supposed to bring heaven to earth to see the world transformed by the culture of heaven and and the, the atmosphere of heaven into our world, our wills have to get out of the way. They have to be changed to his. They have to be redirected to his. Our plans have to go and say, God, what are your plans? And I'm not saying making a plan like, hey, I'm going to go to the dentist at least twice a year. That's a great plan. Continue to do that. It's the plans like, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to keep doing this. And God's like, whoa, whoa, what are your plans? I think... You ever had that conversation with somebody and they got stuff going on and you're like, oh, I can't make my plans around you. You ever said that to somebody? Yes. There's only one person you cannot say that to. It is God. You're like, sorry, I got things going on. I can't really make my plans around you. Our plans have to start with him. His plans have to be our plans. And like God's like, oh, by the way, you can work everything else into what I'm doing, what you want to do. I think so many times we're like, well, God, I just want to do this and I want to do this. And he's like, and if I have to do what you want me to do, then I won't be able to do this. It's funny because I used to think that way. I used to think, oh, well, if I, if I serve God, I will never be able to do this and I'll never be able to do this and I'll never be able to do this and I'll never enjoy doing this and I'll never like to do this. And it's like, it's funny how when I changed my mind on that and saw what he was doing, the things I wanted to do came around when I least expected it. So many times we're like, well, God, I can't surrender what I want to do because if I do what you want to do, I'll never have time to do what I want to do. And he's like, well, wait a minute. If I know what you're, if you're following me, your desires, the desires of your heart will be his desires. But he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to reward you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to let you enjoy life while you're serving me. Remember like, oh, if I got to serve God, I just got to live this life and it's going to be miserable and I got to, you know, give up everything. And it's like, no, he's like, he came to bring life and bring life abundantly. Abundance doesn't mean, oh, by the way, I got to give up everything I want and enjoy. God's like, I need you to have hobbies. Otherwise you get in trouble. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) He's like, have hobbies, otherwise you're going to get in trouble. If you have hobbies, you can talk to me while you're doing them. If you don't have hobbies, you're just going to get in trouble doing something else. 
So we have to yield our plans and our pursuits to him and say, God, what are, your, what are you doing? How do I fit into this? How do I become part of this? How do I do it in the workplace, in ministry, at my home, in our social groups? Wherever we are, our life should be a sacrifice to the king. Doesn't mean we have to give up everything, but he's just sacrificed to him. Our lives are a living sacrifice to him. That means we get, are giving it to him so he can do something with it. Yes. You ever had, there's a lot of stuff in my garage that's just like, my wife will ask me, what is this? There's no purpose for this. I'm like, yes, there is, because she doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And all the men are like, amen, hallelujah. Um, and she's like, why do you have this, this little piece of something? I'm like, because it's for this. And she's like, what is that? You don't even have that. I said, but one day I will. <laughs> and so she's like, why are you keeping this? Because I do this. And she would always get mad at me. She's like, why do you keep picking this stuff up? And why do you keep going and getting this stuff? I said, because I can use it. And she shakes her head, but it's true. I've used so much of the little random pieces for random stuff. And she's like, she still says no. But think about it. I don't even know where I was going with that. I totally lost my clean. Now, now I'm thinking I've got to clean my garage out. Um, yes, my wife's agreeing with that. Um, but our life should be sacrificed to him. Our life should be given up so he can do something with it. The little pieces of our life that we, we think we're giving up that are going to be miserable. He's saying, oh, by the way, the little piece is going to fit into this bigger puzzle. This little piece is going to fit into this big puzzle. And what's going to happen is going to bring completion to our life. People try to, to live life how they want and, and bring God in on Sundays and, and on a Wednesday service or, or at a prayer meeting. And then they find out life is empty because there's huge blotches of that puzzle that are missing. But when we surrender everything to Jesus, and we say, I, bow my, um, I surrender my life to you. He's like, okay, give me everything. I know how to make a puzzle complete better than you do. And he's putting those pieces in and those big open areas that are missing in our life before we surrender. He's like, let me fill those. I've got the piece for that. I've got the piece for that. And so there's little pieces through our, our life that are going to be empty. And he's going, you know what? I'm going to take care of that. Those pieces that you, you really love doing this or you really wanted to do this or you really have a desire to do this. He's like, I'm going to fill that with that. And it's like, God, I didn't expect that. God, I didn't know you were going to do that. But when we surrender our life, he's like, I got you. I got this. It may not be when you want to do it. You're like, well, I want to go to Europe in, in 2021, and I want to have uh, six weeks in Europe backpacking. And he's, like, and he's like, yeah, that's not going to work out with what I've got planned for you. But what I'm going to give you is going to be just as good. What I give you is going to be better than what you expected. So living a life of sacrifice. So I was reading this, um, about this article about um, the Wesleys, and I was reading this um, prayer that is um, very, very old, and it's uh, the Methodist, and what the, it's a Methodist prayer, and they've, they've prayed this every January 1st for hundreds of years. And... I want to read this to you. And it says this, I am no longer mine, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you. 
or lay aside for you. Exalted for you, brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. That's a deep, whoever thought that up, that's a very deep prayer. Let me be filled, let me be emptied. And I think sometimes we have to empty ourselves and yield ourselves as an open vessel and say, fill me. It's like the whole, when the Holy Spirit came in the upper room in Acts, they had to empty themselves out so God could fill them. They had to take their will, their hearts, their emotions, their, their, everything that they wanted to do and they were feeling at that moment. And they said, fill me. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came and he filled them. And I think yielding ourselves, learning to yield ourselves, will create a place for the Holy Spirit to come and fill. It's not our will, but His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we yield ourselves, His will will become our will. Our heart, our eyes will be set to heaven. And when we look at him, all we will see is his plans, his desires, his longing for this earth to be filled with his presence. If as a church we want to go farther, we have to go deeper. As individuals, if we want to go farther, we have to go deeper. I was uh, thinking about this earlier this week, and it's funny because my wife texted me on a couple days ago, and she's like, hey, we're coming to town. The girls were with her. She's like, we're going to go to Subway. Do you want to go to Subway with us? I said, yeah, that's awesome. So I go, I go to Subway, and, and I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the menu, and they've got chicken. I'm like, oh, they've got chicken, and they have rotisserie chicken. You have the chicken, and it's this weird pre-shaped some guy probably takes a can of spray paint and spray paints the grill marks on it. And you're like, okay, I got that chicken or I have rotisserie chicken. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, do I want, and this is just me and my weird thoughts. Um, I said, do I want a foot long of the weird pre-shaped chicken or do I want a six inch of the rotisserie chicken? And, and I was thinking about that and God said this to me and he said, do you want more of mediocre or a good amount of really good? Do you want really mediocre or do you want just a, a really good amount of really, really good? Do you want the best or do you want, yeah, I'll settle for this. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, it's that rubbery stuff you bite into and you're like, is this really meat? Um, do we just want... And this is, this is for the church. Do we really want to be, do we want the church to be a social club or do we want the church to be something different? Do we want to just get together and have our coffee and have our conversations 
do it at your home for crying out loud. You can do that at your home. You don't have to be here to drink coffee and have conversation. Socially minded churches become clubs. We cannot become, become a club. If our, we're going to yield our will to Jesus, we are not going to be a social club. Kingdom-minded churches become like a wildfire, and they spread. They don't, they don't come here and say, well, you know what? I got you cake this week. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't get you cake. Um, everybody's like, what? Um, so, but what I'm saying is if we, become social, if we just become a socially-minded church, we only gather to have conversations with each other, drink a cup of coffee with each other, feel good about what we're doing here, and never do anything else. But kingdom-minded people come together to fellowship here and to go out and to spread the fire that has been inside of them. As a church, we'll be expanding this year. We'll be growing this year. But I want to remind you that as a church, we want to go farther. We've got to go deeper. As people, if you want to go farther, you've got to go deeper. We can't just sit and go, oh, this is nice and I like this, and sit by the sidelines and wait for the, the wind to blow and to knock us over. Sometimes going deeper means that you're going to have to work to till the ground, get the stones out, seed it, water it, let God do what he's going to do with it, and then watch roots grow. We have to expand this year. We have to grow this year, personally and as a church. We have to invest in the next generation. We have to invest in the next people groups and areas that God is leading us to. There's people out there that have not been reached. They don't know the love of God. They've never experienced the presence of God. You would think with all the technology we have, all the people that are on this earth, somebody would have told everybody about Jesus. I have met people that have never even heard the good news of Jesus. They've heard of church, but they've never heard of Jesus. They've never heard of who he is, what he wants to do for them. So there are people that are still unreached in our, in our area, in our towns, in our counties. We have the perfect example here. We live, half of our church lives in one county, half of our church lives in the other county. We have the perfect place to reach people. We're not going to wait and say, well, I hope the church gets bigger and then we can reach people. No, it starts with you by going further, by getting deeper. When you get deeper, you go further. Because when you put roots down, when you, when you go deeper in him, you have something to come back to. But when you don't go deeper and you go further, you're like, what, what was I doing? You go off on a bunny trail, you're like, oh yeah, it was Jesus. And then you got to go back to it. But we have to yield ourselves. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have nothing. Let me have all things. Yielding ourselves to the king and saying, Father, take my hand. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. And it's your will, not my will. Let's pray.